Welcome, everybody. This is the Celtics Beat Show. I'm your host, Cal Lee, and alongside with me, I got my co-host, my my PNC, Mr. Warren Shaw, as we represent the baseline, powered by CLNS Radio. Welcome to the Celtics Beat Show. How's it going, Mr. Shaw? Everything's great, man. I can't so excited to be on here on, on another chance uh, to talk about the Celtics. And, you know, I love this new format we're getting into, so this should be a great show. Definitely. Happy Gobble Gobble weekend to everyone and those who have survived Black Friday, albeit if you're a Boston Celtics fan, Black Friday could have easily been the game that they played against the Chicago Bulls as they lost a tough one, 109-102 to Chi-Town. Uh, former, former coach, assistant coach Tom Thibodeau finds a way to allow his Chicago Bulls to pull out the victory. Derrick Rose returns back on the floor. Quality amount of minutes, uh, 21 points and 28 minutes of work. But again, the, the story of the day with the Boston Celtics is the fourth quarter collapse. The inability for them to close out the basketball games to put forth the full 48 minutes. And Shaw, you know, it's starting to really start making the natives restless. Boston Celtics faithful, really not liking the way that Boston is executing down the stretch, especially when you have opportunities like these type of games to pull out key victories. It just lands to the fact that they continue to struggle against the better teams in the NBA. Yeah, it's one of those things where you've seen them play well um, versus a lot of a lot of these great teams in the NBA. They, they've pretty much played with everybody. They've been blown out a couple of times, but for the most part, they've been in every single game. Um, and then it comes down to a, a four or five minute stretch where they're just unable to, to do anything correctly. And then they end up losing. And again, you know, Chicago, it's unfortunate for, for Boston that you know, they faced Chicago when they were 100 percent healthy for the most part with minus Todd Gibson. But all oh, their starters were healthy for, I think, maybe only the third time this entire season. Um, and and you know, they really got Chicago's best effort. Joe Kim Noah had an amazing game on both ends of the floor um, and really disrupted Boston, especially in that fourth quarter. But when you go five for 26 in the quarter. Um, and only get a, a you know score eleven points and shoot over eight from the three point line as well, which is something that you know people are starting to get tired of. You know this three point shooting um, Boston Celtics team uh, that they, again you're just not going to be able to to get anything done, especially when you can't get guys in, in in the correct positions. And you know Rondo with his struggles from both the line and and, and the floor, um, you're really starting to see you know what, what's really happening here with Boston is that they just don't have the the the, the wherewithal to close out games when they really need to. Definitely. So this week we're sc- we're surely going to be talking about the game between the Boston Celtics and the uh, the Chicago Bulls. We'll also get into the upcoming matchup, about as tough a matchup and as tough a stretch as you can talk about when you talk Bulls and then you transition to the San Antonio Spurs. We'll definitely get into that. We have a special guest with us who's going to help us discuss further about the Boston Celtics. What's really going on with Rajon Rondo and his uh, abysmal free throw shooting? What are we going to do about the rotation? And, you know, is Bradley, is Brad Stevens having flashbacks, collegiate flashbacks still in the way that he handles his team down the stretch. We'll have Kevin O'Connor from Celtics blog to jump on with us to help us discuss all of this. And of course, we got our question of the day from uh, from our fans from out there on uh, Facebook. And it will also give you around the NBA in five in this week's segment, in this week's show of the, the Boston Celtics Beat Show. So we appreciate everyone continuing to join along with us to so continue to follow us as we trend to become one of the top shows discussing Boston Celtics basketball powered by CLNS Radio. Be sure to check out the CLNS Radio app. Always available, always on time, always in tune to keep you abreast with everything regarding Boston Celtics sports. Download the app and be sure to check out the Celtics Beat Show. Let's go ahead and get right into it, Shaw, and let's talk about this Boston Celtics team for what it's worth. 
you know, one of the interesting things that we talk about is the fact that this is a scrappy basketball team. They fight. And we're not taking anything away from the fact that this team will play hard for 48 minutes. We won't take anything away from this team that when they're down, they, they certainly should not be counted out. We've watched them in stretches where they've been down as many by 19, 20 points, and they scratch and they claw their way and they find themselves somewhere within striking distance. But somewhere along the line, they just lose their composure. They lose their focus. They lose their ability to execute in games. And in a situation where you're talking about the Chicago Bulls, you're on a two-game losing streak. You have an opportunity to knock this team off when this team is really not at their full tilt. They're not 100%. Derrick Rose is just trying to find his legs again, coming off of the hamstring injury. Joakim Noah has been up and down. Paul Gasol is on the slap. You have an opportunity to really pull away a quality win to help boost your organization. And you just can't find a way to execute down the stretch. You know, at some point you start to wonder, is this personnel good enough to win basketball games? And should there really be an overhaul in the way that Brad Stevens manages this team? Well, I think what we what what is an overwhelming theme for Boston is just that they just have similar talent across the board. And it's hard for Stevens right now currently to figure out what rotations are going to work best um, on, on a game to game basis. And, you know, nobody's really, really standing out. Obviously, Rondo has been putting up statistically some very good numbers, you know, in terms of rebounding, assisting. Um, he's still scoring and, and in the range in which he probably should be scoring. But, you know, that the consistency from Jeff Green is is not what Celtic people have always hoped it would be. Sollinger has obviously played good basketball but Olenek too he struggled so the starting lineup is is really kind of this mixed mash of of, of, of similar talent just with varying degrees of, of of skill level in terms of you know you know scoring or rebounding or passing the passing the basketball and Stevens just hasn't been able to figure out okay what is my ideal lineup you know we don't know if Olenek should be the starting center simply because he's you know he's seven foot or whatever the case may be he really is a stretch for and I think we all can agree to that but you know is Tyler Zeller an answer that you need to put out there being the starting center um you know Favre Ronnie's still on the shelf, so is that is that a guy who needs to come here and get some minutes to give them some when he gets healthy to give them some interior presence? So Boston is just really stuck in terms of having so much, so many players that are just very much the same um, that I think Stevens is having a hard time getting them to execute when it really, really matters. You know, one of the things that we've seen, and uh, there's an interesting article written by Rich Conti, a part of CLNS Radio. I encourage people to go to www.clnsradio.com and check out the latest article written by Rich. The, the, the thing that seems to really stick out to a lot of people's minds is, is that while the Boston Celtics are a team that look like they can have control when it gets to that fourth quarter, there's always that hold your breath. And you have to wait and see what the first four or five minutes of that of that fourth quarter is going to show with regard to how this team plans to play this game. Because, again, they just don't seem to put it all together. And one of the things that we talked about is who really should be on that basketball court when it comes to that fourth quarter. It just seems kind of, uh, kind of crazy that at this particular juncture, Brad Stevens does not have as much confidence on a solid starting five. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit later on when we bring Kevin O'Connor on the show. But I wanted to get your perspective, Shaw, about who do you think should really be the starting five, for, the closing five, excuse me, for this basketball team that should be executing down the stretch for the Celtics team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you have to have Rondo as your pseudo or quote unquote best player. He has to he has to be out there. I think Sandra needs to be out there. I think those two players are are are, are Boston's crowning jewel right now. Um, and I think Jeff Green. It's it's one of those things with him where 
I guess by 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 nature and kind of what he's done in the league that you you want him out there per se. Um, I'm just I'm not so no so sold on Jeff Green because I think for him it probably should be more of a feel thing. Does he have does he have the touch going? Um, but I think Bass is a guy who needs to be out there. I think simply because he's able to to provide some defense and and really really give um, Boston that toughness that they seem to lack. And it has a reliable mid range jumper that I think he can hit even in, in crucial moments of the game. Um, and and then that fifth guy, you know, I think it really is going to be about feel. You know, whether that's Evan Turner, whether that's Marcus Thornton, um, you know, I think that's something that 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 Brad Stevens kind of has to go with and which is something that you see a lot of teams do, but you know, we're not the San Antonio Spurs where, you know, like, you know, Ginobili coming off the bench, he's always going to be out there in the closing minutes per se, where we we're, we're, you know, they're just not that team. Um, so I think for you, for the most part, you definitely need to have Rondo. You definitely need to have Sanjar and Bass. And I think the other two, you can really kind of play by committee. You're tuned to the Boston Celtics beat show with uh, Warren Shaw, Cal Lee, as we discuss the Boston Celtics and the tragic, <laughs> the tragic loss again with the Chicago Bulls. Shaw, let's let's kind of press forward a little bit. I know we've been talking about the, this particular game, but I think just in the outset, the Bulls, the, I'm sorry, the Celtics have lost three games in a row. Okay, and these have been games where they have not looked really impressive. Now, granted, they played tough and they played hard fought, and you know maybe in 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 the delusional mind of what most people think and perceive when you watch Boston Celtics basketball, they deserved to win that basketball game. But deserving to win and actually going out and winning those basketball games seem to be two totally, completely different things. And one of the things that I've been wondering, much less to what you have talked about and what we discussed on our show, The Baseline, is Stan Van Gundy was not hesitant at one point to pull Greg Monroe from that starting rotation and put him on as part of the second the second team, coming off as that sixth man. And he was basically... A, you know, just bossing everybody on the basketball court, taking care of the second tier guys. And I'm wondering, should we really start relying on the idea that Jeff Green needs to be at that level, that we really have to stop forcing him to be a starter when he really isn't and truly incumbent upon being a true starter for a team, especially like the Boston Celtics that are lacking other things that Jeff Green just cannot put together to put on the court? Yeah, it's an intriguing question for sure. Um, I don't think, you know, based on his salary and some of the things that Boston has has asked of him to do, that that would go over very well. Um, but it's something that I think Stevens has to look at. He has to look at everything at this point because this is a team that you know what are four and four and eight now or whatever it is, and just not don't don't seem to have the consistency that 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 it, that this roster should have. Um, and and if Green was were to come off the bench, I don't know if that means that Evan Turner is going to end up starting or Parker Thornton is going to end up starting at a, at a small three position. Um, but it does give you some some different options per se, and Green could maybe kind of come in and, for lack of a better phrase, really beast on the second unit, you know, where he can really get all the touches he needs to get and kind of dominate, kind of like what we thought the Pistons were going to do with Greg Monroe. Um, and I don't think that's a bad idea at all. I think it's something that Stevens, you know, he probably will not even be considering at this point because Green has been a little bit better than he has been since last year. Um, but I do think something that, again, to to give that get the, the the offense uh, some consistent scoring punch off that second unit um jeff green would be a, a viable option if, if it put into that role is it is it really amazing when you look at this boston celtics team and their inability or the incapacity for them to score in the fourth quarter dialing back to the chicago bulls game 35 in the first quarter 25 in the second 31 in the third quarter and this is still considered one of the best defensive teams in the nba and to only have 11 points in the fourth quarter while 
while I know that it's the Chicago Bulls playing, you know, playing lockdown defense, I mean, come on. It's not as if the, 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 the Boston Celtics didn't find a way to put the ball in the basket against the Chicago Bulls team for it to just come to an abrupt halt. I mean, what are we what are we talking about here? Is it more psychological or they just, you know, didn't have enough in the tank to pull the full to, to play the full 48? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it probably is a little bit of, you know, we're kind of running out of gas if you're shooting so well for the first three quarters and scoring efficiently. You're bound to eventually come down, but it just shouldn't be such a drastic turn. You know, shooting five for 26 in a quarter at 19% is just, that's just never going to get it done. And obviously, a team's going to be able to get back into the game and steal it away from you when, you know, we're pretty much winning that game for the majority of, 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 of the 48, you know, 36 minutes up to that point. Um, and I really think Boston, just again, they have to figure out a way, in a sense, to get easier baskets. Keep the keep the offense flowing and maybe even run some things through Sellinger down on the block a little bit and let him find guys off off you know off out of, out of the post ups um, or again same thing run Rondo and Sellinger off the pick and roll. Uh, I just feel like sometimes the ball sticks a little bit in the fourth quarter. Then some guys get a little bit antsy, don't really know what to do with it. Should they shoot? Should they pass? Um, and Stevens kind of has to figure that out right now. You know before Boston is able to really execute and become the team that they potentially could be because they've had a lot of good job, good effort games you know this season thus thus far. Um, you know playing some really tough teams, you know, and playing them tight, a la Phoenix, played Portland tough, you know, um, uh, and, and played, I'm forgetting myself here real quick, um, and they, they didn't play the Rockets well, but they played Dallas really well too. So it's just, you know, one of those things that you really feel like this is a team that that's on the cusp of being, of being, you know, one of the Eastern Conference playoff teams, if, if, if potential, if they could really figure out some of these fourth quarter issues. Shaw, like, it, it's, it's one of those dicey situations right now because four and eight by no stretch of the imagination are we saying that the boston celtics are the worst team in basketball they're not they actually play good basketball they play competitive basketball you brought up the point you know against the portland trailblazers they lost 94 88 you know yes that game is at home um but one of the things i do know about this boston celtics team is sometimes even with the talent not being all that there they always play tough at home. And I've noticed that this team suddenly has lost that mystique of making it a tough place to play at the Garden. Why is that? You know, even when the Boston Celtics had had their struggles uh, a few years ago on the back end of the run with Allen, Pierce, Garnett, the one thing that they could always rest their laws is, is they play tough at home. We're not great on the road at times, but they play tough at home. You're just not seeing that from this team. And a, and a lot of it is really reflecting on what we've talked about, how they just don't execute during the final quarters, the third and fourth quarters. They don't win the third quarters at times. And at times in the fourth quarter, they just become absolutely anemic. And when you need that 12th man, you need that sixth man, quote unquote, the fans. It's just really crazy to find out that people don't fear the green any longer in the garden. And it just doesn't become a tough place to play anymore. Anyone could come in there and beat this Boston Celtics team. And I'm just wondering, where's that mystique gone? Well, I think it's it, it's definitely a result of the talent level um, and then the changeover on the roster. And then even the changeover in, you know, in, in personnel um, in the coaching system. You know, Stevens is still a young guy and uh, he's still trying to figure out his way per se. And this is something that I think when you look at that, the tail end of that run with that 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 magical big three, 
they were NBA veterans and that they just seemed to have a presence about them and they understood what it meant to, to, to really defend your home, your home court. And this is a roster now that is full of young guys, you know, definitely one of the younger teams in the NBA. Um, and they don't have the same, the same level of not necessarily professionalism, but that's that, that same, oomph that, the, that those other guys had. And it's, and I think that's just what it boils down to, something that they will eventually probably develop, especially after they've been in the system for a while, been in the league a while, and been with the same Boston organization for a little bit longer as well. And you'll see them try to be able to take a little bit more pride and, and a little more you know extra into when it, when it, when it matters in, in terms of defending their home court. All right, you're tuned to the Boston, Celt- uh, Boston Celtics Beat Show uh, with my co-host Warren Shaw as we discuss the Boston Celtics, another frustrating loss to the Chicago Bulls and really a tough stretch of basketball. I've lost three straight. And they're now sitting at four and eight. And the upcoming game they have is against the defending NBA champions. Wow, you know, I mean, Black Friday, like I said, that's supposed to be the day where you go buck wild on savings. This is a different kind of Black Friday altogether because this could lead to a four-game losing streak. And really, it could really put a, a set of really bad tone ment- mentally for a team that's already fragile as it is with the way that they've lost some of the basketball games they had in the month of November, Shaw. You know, this is a San Antonio's Spurs team that, you know, a lot of people look at with the same kind of mentality, the same kind of verber as you look at the New England Patriots, you look at the Denver Broncos. My gosh, if they lose a couple of games, all of a sudden, is this team not good enough to make it to the NBA Finals? Oh my gosh, is this team not good enough to make it to the Western Conference Finals? Tim Duncan looks a step slow. Tony Parker looks a step slow. And then they have that one breakout game. They have that one game where they they, they basically execute a team to death like the Los Angeles Clippers and then all is right in the world. And you're a team like the Boston Celtics going through the struggles that you go through. What is the first and foremost thing that if you are Brad Stevens, you need to be telling this team coming into this basketball game with a team like and as hot as the San Antonio Spurs? Well, I think you just want to learn from their professionalism and learn how they execute. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll see firsthand. You know when you, when you play against them and what what it means. So whether it ends up being a win, whether it ends up being a loss, I think you, the Celtics can definitely learn a lot from what the San Antonio Spurs are doing in terms of an organization, how they fight through you know injuries and guys being being in and out of the lineup. And it's really about the system. I think Stevens is definitely trying to put that in place here in, in Boston. He wants to have a system in place where guys, it doesn't matter who's out on the floor, and especially which seems to be a, a recurring theme that we're going to be discussing on the on the on the, on the show is that Boston's roster is very light talented. So it doesn't really matter. It shouldn't matter who's out there. Everyone should be able to be able to execute kind of like how the Spurs do, but obviously not, you know, on, on, on the championship level. But you want to start building and starting starting to get that foundation together. And I think that's what Stevens should take and talk to his team about when they play the San Antonio Spurs this weekend. This is the Celtics Beat Show. Cal Lee and Warren Shaw are your hosts this week. And uh, our interview with the Celtics Beat Show is brought to you by BeatsAndEats.net. Food, comedy, pop culture, and more. That's BeatsAndEats.net, hosted by Nick Gelso and Ty Ray. Our special guest today that's joining us here on the Celtics Beat Show, we have a senior writer. Uh, He writes some great articles on Celtics blog, so make sure you go to www.celticsblog.com. We have our man Kevin O'Connor. He's also an NBA analyst for Sports Aptitude, Vantage Sports, About.com. And also rolls with the SB Nation family. Welcome to the Celtics Beat Show, Kevin. Thanks for having me, guys. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Well, I know it's a much happier Thanksgiving, except for the Celtics fan family base, because you know another rough loss over the course of this holiday weekend. 
uh, at the hands of the Chicago Bulls. Another fourth quarter collapse. And, you know, this is becoming a trend uh, with the Boston Celtics that they just don't have it in them to play the full 48. They sound, you know, they're the type of team that fights and scraps for 36, 38, 40, 42, 46. When it comes to the full 48, we just don't see the effort. And I want to get your thoughts about what you saw from this Boston Celtics team, you know, playing against arguably one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference in the Chicago Bulls, but why the ineptitude of their ability to really put together four solid quarters of basketball against the better teams in the NBA? Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it, Cal? It's starting to become like deja vu every single night. You know, they're going to fight for three quarters, and then it comes to the fourth, and what do they do? They blow up every time, and it's it's the same story, really. It's just the execution at the end of games. And I, I know after the game, Brad said he wasn't unhappy with the execution down the stretch, but, man, they just don't get some of the baskets that they get early in games. I, I know, I think Turner got blocked at the basket by Noah, and Rondo got blocked, too, and they're just not the the best looks. They're not getting easy open looks like they do early in games. And on the defensive end, I thought their problems started in the first half. I thought the Bulls had a lot of chances to really mount a lead. I think 70% of their shots in the first half came within five feet of the rim, but they hit only, I think, 45% of them. But in the second half, they started getting their offense going. They finally figured things out on defense. And when a team's rolling on defense, the Celtics just can't seem to crack it. Kevin, and I think those are all great points and something I've been kind of wondering about. I think you might have even touched on you know, some of the rotation issues Boston has had. But for you, in your opinion, what do you think really should be kind of the closing lineup? Or is that something Stevens needs to kind of, you know, uh, like feel the game out, per se? You know, he goes with what, you know, what's working at that time. Or should there be really be like a closing lineup to end games for Boston? Yeah, it's, it's tough to say because it seems like the closing lineup is different every game. And I understand why because I know Brad... Brad hinted, I think it was earlier this week or last week, he said something like, I think our best lineups have been when I've I've felt it and I've just went with my gut. And that, that doesn't seem like a Brad Stevens type of thing, though, because he's a pretty analytical guy at, at Butler and in Boston. He has Drew Cannon, a guy who has helped him with pairings and groupings on lineups. And that's that's kind of the 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 mindset I've tried to take when I write articles about like finding the best little small groups of players and stuff like that. But in games, like I think last night Bass was in there at the end, but in many of the other games, he'd be on the, on the floor for only 15 minutes and he wouldn't even get an opportunity at the end of the game. But to answer your question, I, I, I think, I think Brad has the right idea with going night to night, but you got to have three guys on there and that's Solinger. He's going to be on the floor every night at the end of the game. So it's Jeff Green and Rajon Rondo. Depending on the situation, maybe it'll be Bradley, maybe it'll be Olenek, but I think Zeller needs to be out there a lot more often, too, for his defensive presence. You're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show with our special guest, Kevin O'Connor, from Celtics Blog at SB Nation. Uh, be sure to check out Kevin O'Connor and catch him on the Twitter, at Kevin O'Connor NBA. You brought up some interesting question, uh, interesting points, rather, Kevin, um, when we when we started on the outset uh, of this particular segment with regards to the Celtics and their inability to be able to score quality baskets. And it's it's a curious question that I have because I know, you know, that there seems to be a lot of question marks still surrounding Brad Stevens as being the guy in Boston. And I'm beginning to wonder, because I'm an avid believer that Brad Stevens should still be the guy. I think that he's a quality head coach, and I think it's still going to take some time. 
But I'm beginning to wonder with when we're talking about rotations, if whether or not part of this is a byproduct of how he coached at Butler. If you recall, you know, he never had a ton of standout basketball players at Butler. He made these guys into quality guys. The most, you know, the pointed person we think about, you know, Gordon Hayward. Uh, we think about guys like Jimmy Butler. But the one thing that we do know is, is that he's not afraid to put in a rotation of guys that he thinks because he has that feel factor to help him win these games. In the NBA, there does come a point where you have to really rest on the loyalty that the guys that you have out there are going to close out games, are going to get the job done. Are you beginning to wonder if whether or not Stevens is still hesitant about having that confidence factor of having a solid five guys to start the games and to close out games because the talent factor is just not there with the Celtics group? Yeah, it's, it's a hard question to answer. And you're right. I think being in college certainly did influence, you know, his style when he, when it comes to rotations. And I think a good example is how last night, I think Chicago rolled with their starting lineup for the first eight or nine minutes of the game. And that's kind of what a lot of coaches do. But Brad subbed out Kelly Olenek in four minutes for Tyler Zeller. And I think there was maybe seven or eight Celtics that played in the game before Chicago brought in their sixth man. And it was interesting to me watching that because after years of Doc Rivers, you know, he stuck with the same rigid rotation every night. And oftentimes I would sit at home or at games and I'd think, you know, geez, why isn't he playing, you know, Tony Allen more often or whoever it was. And now with Brad, I'm almost wanting the doc style back in terms of, you know, just sticking to what you know works. But with this team, the roster's so even, it's different. So you don't necessarily know who's better. Each night, a different guy will be better than, than the other guy. Like some nights, Bass might be better than Olenek. So, you know, even though I do have my concerns in terms of, him pulling the right strings, I, I, I trust his gut. And, and I think it's just more about finding the right guys, and that'll take time. You know, Kevin, that's something that we've been discussing for, I think, Agnosium, you know, with a lot of teams in the NBA, when the roster is very even, that can be a great thing, and sometimes it just becomes a hindrance. Mm -hmm. You look at a team like Milwaukee, their roster is pretty even across the board so far, but they're having success with it. And now you see the Boston Celtics, and they seem to be struggling. My question now is, you know, do you feel like, Celtics need to have another you know, ball handler out there, like AE, like kind of like Evan Turner. Does he need to be out there playing a little bit more? Um, not necessarily to to take possessions away from Rondo, but just to give Boston the option, as because Bradley seems to struggle with that role when he needs to try to create for others. Yeah, it's interesting, especially because the bench combinations with Smart and Turner, or Smart and Thornton, really seem to work well, or even Smart and Pressy in their limited minutes. But when those guys work together, they run their motion offense. They don't run the the slower half-court sets that you see with Rondo. But, I, I mean, I know there's been a little bit of a conversation on Celtics blog about should they put Bradley on the bench and start Turner. But I don't think so. I think, I think Bradley, people are just frustrated with his shooting right now. But I think once he starts hitting shots, people will learn to appreciate him just like they did last year in prior seasons. You bring up an a, you know, interesting point about Avery Bradley, and a little bit later on, there's an interesting uh, question of the week with regards to one of our fans um, you know, posing a question about Avery Bradley, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, let, let's go ahead and switch gears. And you wrote a very, very interesting article, Kevin, regarding Rajon Rondo and 
his mechanics and his, you know, just horrific free throw shooting, something where it's, it's just, again, it just kind of reared its ugly head during the final minutes uh, or the final seconds rather of the game against the Chicago Bulls. And now it's just exploded. I mean, if you go on the internet, Rajon Rondo's name is now being affiliated as being one of the worst free throw shooters of all time. And when you look at in the all time, you know, Aliens, you know, Wilt Chamberlain is on that list. Shaquille O'Neal is on that list. And listen, you measure up Rajon Rondo's numbers. Ain't nothing talking Hall of Fame numbers. You can let that go by with a guy like Wilt Chamberlain and Shaquille O'Neal. But for Rajon Rondo, who's still really, you know, at the at the peak, not even at the peak of the prime of his career, this is not the type of thing, that the type of list you want to be on, especially if you're a point guard, because all of the top 10 worst shooters of all time are bigs. So to be a, a point guard and to be shooting this horrific Aprito percentage, you know, talk a little bit about the article, what prompted it, and, and why do you think that this is going to be important as we start heading into throughout the course of this season for the Boston Celtics? Well, la- last night, I, when he went to the line for those two free throws, I just knew he was going to miss at least one of them <laughs> because he's so bad this year. And, and when I went home and I saw the end of the game, the broadcast, he just looked like a deer in the headlights. You could see it in his eyes. He didn't have his usual demeanor that he has throughout games. He's kind of got, you know, his low eyes, looks focused. But when he's at the line, his eyes are big, you know, it's, he's nervous. And that's not something you usually see from Rondo. But, you know, the reason why I wrote the article is because a couple of weeks ago, Danny Ainge had his interview with Toucher and Rich, and he basically admitted that, you know, you can't talk to him about it because it's a psychological thing. And I've been waiting for a game to, to talk about this since I previously had wrote about it last year, like you said, when you, when you mentioned his mechanics and, and his routine. But last night, uh, it, it just reared its ugly head, like you said. And I, I mean, I don't know if they've tried to help him with a sports psychologist before, but considering how how uh, progressive the Celtics are with you know the extra technologies they have, you would think they would have tried something with a psychologist. But I just find, I just find it interesting, Kevin, that, that what you're saying here is exactly to that point. I mean, you look at a guy like Blake Griffin. Last a couple of years ago, one of the things that people were talking about with, R- with Blake Griffin and what's stopping him from being talked about as being an MVP candidate was the fact that you can't trust him at the end of games. His his free throw shooting was almost as bad as DeAndre Jordan's. And now after one season, just one season where he shoots above 60 something percent, he's being talked about with confidence that he is going to be considered as an MVP candidate. We, we we don't know if this is a one hit wonder. We don't, but we did the same thing with Dwight Howard a couple of years ago. The same thing with him, and I just find it very interesting that with with Rajon Rondo being a point guard, you are you know you are the 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 engine basically that makes this thing go for this Boston Celtics team. And the one thing that's being relied upon is your ability to get to the basket. You know you're going to get fouled. You know you're going to take hacks. You got to go up there and you got to shoot those free throws. And I think more opportunities on the free throw line for a guy who doesn't shoot a quality percentage would help a guy like Rajon Rondo. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the word hacks. I'm just waiting for the day a, a team hacks a Rondo. I'm, I know Sherrod Blakely wrote an article recently, a, a scout said it's going to happen. And I'm just waiting for the day the Celtics are down to with eight seconds left in the clock. The, the ball's inbounded to Rondo and he gets fouled right away. It's going to happen, and I think, you know, it's what you mentioned. People are talking about it everywhere on the internet today. He's a horrible foul shooter. He's one of the worst of all time. <clears throat> but if 
if it happens at the end of a game and he gets intentionally fouled, you're just going to see Celtics fandom on Twitter just blow up. It's going to be even crazier than it was today. You know, quick question, you know, kind of following up on that. Do you think it's something where the, the, is the restructuring of, of the jump shot? Like, I mean, maybe not as bad as Michael Kidd Gilchrist per se, but is it really, is it the combination of the mechanics and the mental or is, do you think it's one thing more than the other? Definitely. I, I think it's both. Um, in, the article I, in the article I wrote last year, I, I touched on his routine. And if you know Ray Allen, when, when he goes to the free throw line, he'd take one stroke without the ball, like uh, just to get the motion in his head. And last year, Rondo started incorporating that. And, and I noticed something where when he practiced that stroke without the ball, he'd have his elbow in. It looked good. It looked nice and smooth. But then when he got the ball, his elbow would stick out. His head would get you know, contorted down. And his mechanics would just look awful. And I think he needs to find consistency both physically and mentally. So when, when he's practicing... He needs to sh- actually shoot the ball the same exact way. He needs to make it become an automatic thing. He needs to put in the hours like he has with everything else over the course of his career. Because Rondo Rondo is 10 times better than, now than he was when he came into the league. It's really amazing. Like If you watch an old Rondo game, his ability not just to shoot the ball, like everybody knows he's improved, but his body has improved. His ability to ball handle has improved. His ability to finish at the rim has improved. Everything has improved except for his free throw shooting. So physically, he needs to fix that. And mentally, man, I, I mean, whatever it is that's that's blocking him, <laughs> they need to do something. There has to be something to help him because he's too smart of a guy to be so bad at free throws, if that makes any sense. <laughs> you tuned to the Boston Celtics Beast Show uh, with our special guest, Kevin O'Connor. Be sure to check out Kevin on the Twitter side and write some great articles for Celtics blog at SB Nation. Um, catch him at Kevin O'Connor NBA. Um, you know, as we as we continue forward, Kevin, and, you know, one of the things that I think tends to happen is everybody really starts scrutinizing potential max players for what they don't do, especially when they're playing on a team that has tradition, that has history, uh, that has a winning uh, enrichment in their culture, like the Boston Celtics. We did this with Kobe Bryant a few years ago, and by no stretch of the imagination am I comparing Kobe Bryant to Rajah Rondo, but what I am comparing is when a team like the Los Angeles Lakers can shell out a two-year, $48 million deal, and people are up in arms about it, you really can't argue because what Kobe Bryant has done within the five-year window with and without a struggling team, you can say, are you really going to say, no, I wouldn't do that? Because the only thing you're going to argue with is his age, not the quality of the player. With Rajon Rondo, the, the jury is really still out with this guy. You know, Boston Celtics fans are kind of on the fence. They either want him or they can't wait to get rid of him. And what do you think it's really going to take for Boston Celtics fans to truly be comfortable with a guy who is a potential triple-double type player, He's still the type of player that makes players better in many in many differences. We, we not, might not want to say that that is the case just because he doesn't score like Chris Paul or he doesn't shoot like Steph Curry. What's it going to take to get Boston Celtics fans to really be an advocate of Rajon Rondo aside from the fact that he was part of that 08 championship run? I don't know what it's going to take because he's, he's pretty amazing. <laughs> so it's hard to say, but uh, I think... I think with Rondo, a lot of people just look at him and 
they, they want him to become that 20 points per game score. They, they want him to be Chris Paul alluded to. And, you know, I'm not sure if he ever could be that, but I'm asking you here, but if Rondo attempted, let's say 18 shots a game, do you, do you believe that he is capable of, of scoring, you know, 16 points on those 18 shots? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I don't believe so. I, I think the thing is, is if Rajon Rondo takes 18 shots, how many other shots did the rest of the Boston Celtics take? And when you couple that with the fact that this team is an okay rebounding team, they're not great rebounding. So they don't give themselves great second chance opportunities. If Rajon Rondo is the guy that's taking the shots, it's saying a lot about the guys that aren't taking the shots because it means they're not doing enough on that court to allow Rondo to do what he does best, which is facilitate the basketball. You know, I would rather see Rajon take 12 shots, make seven of them, make eight of them. You know, we we hailed LeBron James a couple of years ago, uh, a couple on his MVP run, when the one night he only took like 12, like 13 shots, but he made like 11 of them and still wound up with like 36, 40 points that game. But a lot of it was because he was on the free throw line. And, you know, that to be to the detriment of Rajon will obviously be his Achilles heel. And that's a good point. Right now, Rondo's tempting about 10 shots per game and he's hitting about only four of them. And, and that's a good point. Rondo, in limited shot attempts, he's not being efficient. And uh, sometimes I wonder if that's still him getting back from the torn ACL because his ability to finish at the rim is, doesn't seem to be quite where it was prior to the injury. But in terms of his long-term success with the Celtics, last season I was a little bit concerned about his ability to, to fit into Brad Stevens' offense, the motion offense. He kind of needs a work-off ball a little bit more. But I've actually been impressed with that. I thought he's integrated himself quite nicely, and it's still early in the year. He'll improve. We're only 13 games into the season. And I'm, I'm encouraged, to say the least, about that. And I look forward to seeing where he is around the trade deadline. <laughs> we don't know if he'll be here beyond that. But around the trade deadline, uh, I'm expecting to see him um, doing quite well. I, I just want to kind of just uh, kind of follow up on this real quick. And <laughs> something that I've been asking a lot of people around Celtics Nations, per se, you know, when we talk about Rondo obviously being the catalyst of the offense and trying to get people involved and everything like that, my question to you then really is, who do you think is the guy who should be taking the most amount of shots on, on the roster? If we all believe that Rondo should be the catalyst, you know, making everybody be us better by passing them the rock, who is the guy? Is it Green? Is it Sandra? Who should be getting the most amount of shots? Or is that another thing that should just be kind of game flow because the roster is so even? I think it to be Avery Bradley. I, I wish they would just feed him beyond the arc. I want him shooting more threes. But if it's not Bradley, I hope it's Sullinger. I know most people say Jeff Green, but I still think of Jeff Green as your your second or third guy. And I, I just would much prefer to see Sullinger fed the ball in the low posts. Let him, let him work. Let him create for others because there's not a lot of guys that can pass as well as both Sullinger and Olenek at the big man position. We saw Noah last night. Fantastic. And Gasol is too, too, for his size. Great passer. And I, I just think Sullinger's a guy that you can you can feed him in the low posts and he can get you a basket or he can draw a foul or he can draw attention and he can create a play for another teammate. And Rondo can do that too, obviously, but he's not going to be the guy leading the team in shot attempts per game. I, I, I just want them to feed the player who's working, and oftentimes that seems to be Sullinger. 
All right, you're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show with our special guest, Kevin O'Connor. Be sure to check out Celtics Beat, available on CLNS Radio. Go to www.clnsradio.com. Check out the latest shows uh, regarding Boston Celtics basketball. All right, let's go ahead and do it, man. It's time for the Celtics Beat fan question of the day. Are you ready to go, Kevin? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Be sure to go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat to pitch your questions. This question comes from Nicola. And Nicola wants to know that if the $8 million contract given to Avery Bradley will end up being an overpay considering some of his limitations on offense. I doubt it. Uh, I I wrote a couple of months ago that Bradley's contract could be a bargain, and I think I'm in the, the far minority in thinking that, but there's not a lot of defensive players that are on Bradley's level. I know he's a little bit undersized at 6'2", but when he turns it up, he can defend anybody, and he can virtually shut down anybody. And then when you look at his offense, I know he's struggling from three-point range so far this season, but he's bound to improve, and he'll probably end, end the season shooting somewhere around 37 38% from three, taking over 300 or 400 attempts from above the arc. And I just think you look at the players in the NBA, $8 million right now might seem like a little bit much, but by year three or four of his contract, I think we'll look at it and think, man, the Celtics were smart to get him for that money instead of letting him go to the market or another team might have overpaid. Who Who's to say another team wouldn't have come out and given him $10 million or $11 million? And then the Celtics would have lost out, and who knows who would be starting right now. Yeah, man. I, I listen. I completely, I completely see where you're coming from, and it, I think it's going to be very, very interesting because one of the things that uh, that myself and uh, Shaw has talked about at, at at length is, you know, what's happened with Avery Bradley. Um, I feel like he's searching so much for his offense that it's taking a lot from what he brings to the table defensively. He's not as aggressive as we've come to have known him when it comes to pressing up on some of the better guards in the NBA. And I just wanted to get your question real quick, Kevin, before uh, before you know you jump away and start uh, hashing into bigger and better things regarding <laughs> the Boston Celtics. But you know, is that kind of the case when it comes to Avery Bradley? Because you know, one of the things that we did see from Bradley when Rajon Rondo was off, you know, was on the slab and was, he was on IR, is that he wanted to be a go-to guy to shoot the basketball. And it seems like there's still a level of hesitance with guys wanting to shoot the basketball, even now with Rajon Rondo back on the court. Yeah, um, it's interesting because previously we mentioned how who's the guy we want leading the team in, in, in shots per game. And one of the negatives of having that player be Bradley is the fact that he can't expound the same level of energy on the defensive end. And the comparison I always like making is James Harden, oddly enough, because early in Harden's career when he was a sixth man, I don't think he was a poor defender at all. I thought he was actually pretty good in his first two years in OKC. But now when he's taking 18 shots per game, He's obviously known as one of the worst defenders maybe in the history of the NBA, and understandably so because he's terrible. But with Bradley, you know, it's his role. I, I, don't, I don't think it's anything with him. It's just they want him shooting the ball more, and when you're putting that energy into the offensive end, you can't go hard every single possession like he did in those playoff series like I remember. But even last night, though, at the beginning of the game, they put him on Rose, I think the first maybe – four or five minutes of the game, he was really pressing up on him, and it looked like vintage Avery Bradley. 
and what he wants to turn it up, I think he can. So I'm not too concerned because it's more of a role type of thing right now. But if the Celtics sneak into the playoffs somehow, I have a feeling you'll see him become that player, the shutdown, lockdown defender, Avery Island that we've seen in the past. All right. Kevin O'Connor for SB Nation Celtics blog. Kevin, we really appreciate you jumping on the Celtics beat show. And, you know, thanks for helping us bring some more insight to what we're expecting to see with this Boston Celtics team. Very scrappy, fights hard. um, And hopefully when people watch this team, they'll probably have a better idea about some of the things that they do obviously need to improve on through the course of this season. Thanks again for jumping on with us, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Cal and Shaw. This is the Celtics Beat Show. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, your host this week. Be sure to check out the Celtics Beat Show Sundays now. So everybody, I know, adjust your clocks, kind of like daylight savings. Now posting them up on Sunday, so be sure to look for the best in Celtics, Boston Celtics talk every Sunday now. In the uh, Be sure to catch us and Larry H. Russell and all the boys doing their thing on Sundays. Interesting to have, you know, Kevin O'Connor help enlighten us with the struggles with regards to the Boston Celtics. And stats aside, Shaw, that's one of the disturbing trends with this Boston Celtics team is their inability to execute down the stretch. You know, it's kind of funny because it's a mirror image what you saw when you see the Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls. This was one of the problems with the Chicago Bulls, even with an MVP candidate like Derrick Rose, that they don't have the ability to execute down the stretch in close games. And you're seeing that now as a mirror image of a team who doesn't play to a high level like the Boston Celtics with their inability to execute during down the stretch, you know, in close tight games. It, it was just kind of funny watching that t- transpire over this weekend. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the issues is it, it's, it's frustrating when you see an offense that's, that's so good for most of the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you know, they're not really stopping anybody throughout, but then they're not able to score, um, you know, in, in the closing minutes and they're not even able sometimes even to get shots off as we saw early in the season when Rondo had a chance to win the game, didn't get a shot off. And, you know, in this last game for Chicago, you missed two free throws that were clutched down the end and that type of thing. And a lot of it is pointing back to him as, as a catalyst and as the leader of, of the organization and the team, you know, trying to get people involved. And when he looks for his own shot, not even, not able, either not able to get it off or not able to make it at all. I um, mean, that, that becomes really frustrating because again, the offense looks so good for the, for the majority of the game. Um, and then it just can't execute down the stretch. And that, that definitely is a problem for Boston. And you got to give credit to the Chicago Bulls and Tom Thibodeau. I mean, it's not like Tom Thibodeau doesn't know the Boston Celtics. He knows Rajon Rondo, and he knows that he wants Rondo taking that basketball, driving that basketball, and eventually shooting that basketball. So he's going to lock down everyone else that's considered his outlets for Rajon Rondo to find as the open shooter because he knows that Rondo, Rondo still is, is, is not psychologically all there when it comes to taking the shot with confidence. You know, we've seen this numerous times, even when the Celtics had Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. No one knew who was going to really shoot that basketball. And it became a byproduct of what would be the downfall of this Boston Celtics team. And I thought it eroded when it came to key basketball players. Guys like Ray Allen had voiced their opinions about their ability to wanting to shoot that shot. And it just really starts with the confidence level on your point guard knowing who he needs to get that basketball to. And when he's the one that's holding the basketball for too long and you're not getting quality shots off towards the end of games, especially on a one-position lead against the opposition, that, that's just a, a recipe for disaster. something that Stevens really has to look to fix it through the course of this season. Yeah, it kind of lends back to some of the earlier talk, especially, you know, whatever it was two seasons ago when Rondo had that ridiculous 
double-digit assist streak. And people said he was holding the ball, kind of waiting for people to kind of open instead of moving it and letting the natural flow of the offense occur. Again, I don't think he's hoarding assists or anything like that, but it does bring some some interesting questions and talk to the conversation about Rondo's ability to lead the, lead the organization. And Shaw, you know, Kevin brings up some really, really interesting points, things and I'm sure people are going to be talking about, you know, for weeks on moving forward is the fact that he wants to see Avery Bradley shooting the basketball more. You know, we've been talking about who's going to be that go-to guy for the Boston Celtics, and he believes that Bradley should be the guy shooting the basketball more getting more touches and really unleashing his three-point repertoire which is something that has been on a downtrend at the outset of this season yeah you know that's a it's an interesting concept with that because in the same breath he also mentioned that you know obviously if he's leading your team in in, in shot attempts and potentially scoring then that's going to take away from what his calling card was originally was which is defense and i think i think maybe as fans some Celtic nation is really kind of stuck in 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 that they they saw bradley come in as a guy who was a defender first and then to see him now trying to transition to the offense but now his defense is suffering I don't know if, if the Celtics organization or even more more so Celtics fans are ready for, ready for that change per se because the roster is so even across the board and you feel like you should be able to get points and scoring from almost any almost any position. I think people some some people just want to see Bradley being a guy who gets you know 12 to 14 points per game, shoots it rel- relatively efficiently but really plays that hard no defense that he he came into the league playing when he first came in as a as a rookie in his second year. Well, the Boston Celtics certainly have their hands full um you know they are going to find themselves <laughs> in a much precarious situation, you know, taking on a team like the San Antonio Spurs. And ultimately, this team is going to have to find their niche because a team that executes like the San Antonio Spurs is not going to allow the Boston Celtics to get away with some of the things that they were able to get away with against the Chicago Bulls. Well, I mean, San Antonio is execution personified. So it's just kind of the antithesis. They do it, you know, for, for the full 48, unlike Boston, who, again, gives you three great quarters, maybe three and a half great quarters, and then just isn't able to to really, you know, figure out a way to get it done when when other teams try to tighten up the screws. And San Antonio is great at that. And again, they execute on both ends of the floor. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And, you know, even to Kevin's point where he talks about guys like Green and Sollinger, um, you know, should they also be the guy? Uh, I, you know, I, I wonder, you know, when you, it's a great test for for Sandra to play against you know a guy like Tim Duncan and and you know Tim Tim Duncan's been a great passing big ever since he came into the league and I think Sandra can learn a lot from him you know moving forward. All right, you're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show. Cal Lee Warren Shaw, your host this week. Time now for around the NBA in five. Shaw, are you ready to rock and roll talking NBA basketball in the next five, my man? This is what we do, man, just like we bring it on the baseline. So 100% in being five, let's go. Yeah, unfortunately, the Boston Celtics had a losing streak of three at this particular moment. But us, we are rolling with a win streak of five, a win streak of three ourselves, keeping it all within the proper framework of five minutes, discussing everything you need to know in the NBA within the next five minutes. So here we go. Time now for the NBA in five. Shaw, let's get it going. Russell Westbrook is back better than ever. 32, 8, and 7. What do we make of the wild man, Russ West, 44, dropping dropping on it on the opposition, being back on the floor, man? He absolutely destroyed the New York Knicks. A lot was made about him scoring 14 points in the first quarter, where she outscored the Knicks by himself. Um, and came back to be so efficient, you know, in 24 minutes, shot 12, 17. Three or four from the three-point line, and as you mentioned, 32 points, eight assists, seven rebounds. Um, just amazing, and trying to get this Oklahoma City Thunder team back on the right track, and hopefully trying to go to the Western Conference playoffs at a lower seed. Much has been said about the fact that they have to win 70% of their games to give themselves a chance to make it to the playoffs. 
I mean, how strongly do you feel after seeing a performance like this from Russell Westbrook that it can be done for the Thunder? Well, it was a perfect game for him to come back. You know, playing the New York Knicks, is, which is obviously not one of the great teams in the NBA. Oklahoma City Thunder now sit at 5-12. and 12. Could potentially get KD to return next week. Maybe he's rushing himself back. But OKC realizes that they have to get back out there really, really quickly and if they want to make the Western Conference playoffs. All right. Toronto Raptors off to a hot start. I mean, so hot that people are talking about them being the best team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, is this fool's goal or is, are this team for real? Well, they're playing playing on both ends of the basketball. I think they're in top 10 in both offense and defense, which is something that they weren't able to boast last year. Um, Kyle Lowry is playing at the all-star level that we all thought he was you know, capable of last year as well. Um, and Lou Williams has really come on as a six man. But a little point of concern, you know, over the weekend, De- DeMar DeRozan went down with a groin injury, still waiting the results of that MRI. And if he's going to be out, that's a big blow to them. But Lou Williams will probably be able to fill in in terms of scoring the offense um, and not too sure who would actually start because I think they want to keep Lou Williams in that, in, that, in that reserve role. All right, the Memphis Grizzlies, are they actually the best team in the NBA? I mean, they're surely playing like it in the outset of this season. Every time I've watched them, I've been I've been very impressed. And same thing, you talk a lot about you know systems and, and what works for teams, and, and that just seems to be the case in Memphis right now. Gasol is obviously you know the 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 straw that stirs the drink per se, but I think they have a lot of guys who really contribute. Costa Kufas has been immense off that bench for them. Uh, uh, Quincy Quincy Pondex has played really great basketball, and they're not even really using Vince Carter or Tayshawn Prince or some of their veteran guys, other than to just be the presence in the locker room. Um, they just really have a great roster. Dave Yeager is doing an awesome job out there and I think the Memphis Grizzlies are one of the best teams if not the best team in the NBA Talk right about now. the toughest place to play the grindhouse 8-0 for the Memphis Grizzlies and it doesn't seem like that they're stopping that trend anytime soon. Da- David West returns back. Uh, he comes in and he just puts in work for the Indiana Pacers. How does that help this Pacers team in the Eastern Conference? I mean it's immense because we've all been saying we're surprised at how good Indiana has been playing without guys like West and without George Hill. Uh, I think Roy Hibbert's been in and out of the lineup recently as well. So now the Pacers sit at seven and nine, and as 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 odd as it seems, with this this mixed mass roster, they really have a chance of making the Eastern Conference playoffs. You know, coming in at a lower seed, they've got nothing from C.J. Miles, and I just don't know what to say about this team other than you guess you have to give tip your tip your hat to Frank Vogel who's doing a great job coaching in Indiana. All right, the Houston, I'm sorry, the Houston Rockets, Dwight Howard, five games now, not playing, knee still a problem, problems in Houston. Yeah, that's, I don't like the way this is sounding at all. They just keep kind of saying, well, we don't know when he's going to come back. But they're saying it's oh, it's not it's something that they shouldn't worry about. But if he keeps, continues, to, continues to miss games, um, you want him to be out there to kind of build the chemistry they need to have with, with Howard, I mean, with, uh, with James Harden um, and some of the other guys on this roster because they lost a lot of the key pieces to this team. And, and Dwight Howard and, and James Harden are, are the two biggest pieces of this roster and you want them to be out there. They seem to be holding serve a little bit without them. You know, they, I think they're, you know, I think they're maybe two and three or three and two without them, but nevertheless, you know, they, they, they need that. They need to be fella back. All right. Denver is velvet gold mine, seven and three over their last 10 games, eight and eight so far for the season. It wasn't too long ago. We were just talking about how Brian Shaw might be on the hot seat. Yeah, I don't know what exactly has happened there in terms of why they're they're playing so much better. Other than I, when I look at the box scores, I see Ty Lawson, you know, double digit scoring, double digit assists, you know, assists even in teens at times. And Aaron Aflalo has been a guy who's been able to find his shot. Wilson Chandler coming to the starting lineup seems to have been the move for them as they work Gallinari back into place. And you know, giving I think what he has done has shortened his rotation a little bit. Um, the, the 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 bench guys don't play as much as they, as they were in the beginning of the season because I think he felt the same thing. He had like 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 talented roster, 
so he needed to play like 10 guys but I think he shortened it down to 8 or so um, and he's gonna definitely get a good production from the starting All right, finally Shaw the Philadelphia 76ers 0-15 will they win a basketball game anytime soon? Um, it doesn't appear so, man. I definitely thought they had a chance the other night. I was watching them play the Brooklyn Nets, and they almost came back. The energy in the arena, you know, for whoever was there, seemed to be palpable. And as they as they tried to take the lead in the fourth quarter, but it was short lived. And now they have an injury to deal with. Tony Rowan looks like he's going to be out for a week or two. You know, um, he injured his knee or twisted his knee or something like that. Um, that's just something they can't afford to happen. But Philadelphia is not looking good, brother. Not good at all. All right, and there you have it around the NBA in five. My man Warren Shaw and I. Talking about all the news going on in the NBA. Excellent show this week, Shaw. Wonderful stuff. Um, you know, and once again, man, Boston Celtics got a tough, tough, tough task ahead of them with the San Antonio Spurs uh, this weekend uh, to end off the month of November. Yeah, this is, is going to be a rough stretch for Boston coming up. They have to play a lot of tough teams, Spurs, the Hawks. Um, they do get some reprieve, potentially playing against uh, not-so-great Detroit Pistons and the L.A. Lakers, but then they have a back-to-back -back with the Washington Wizards following that game. So it's going to be a tough week for Boston, but hopefully they can turn things around and you know Stevens can tighten up these rotations and definitely make this team put them in the right position that they need to be in. All right, well, once again, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this week's show of the Celtics Beat Show. My man Warren Shaw. And I really appreciate everyone joining on. We'd like to thank Kevin O'Connor from CelticsBlog.com for jumping on with us. We also like to thank Larry H. Russell, Eddie Santiago, and the crew for helping us put together one of the best Boston Celtics talk shows each and every single week. Be sure to check us out next Sunday as we continue to give you full coverage of the Boston Celtics. This is the Boston Celtics Beat Show powered by CLNS Radio. Catch you guys next time.